Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Johanna. My last name is unknown. It's confusing. I'm not going to clarify. Um, Today we're speaking about joy, as you saw in that video. This is the third of our Advent series as we're leading up to Christmas. And I don't know why I was chosen to speak on joy, because I am not a naturally joy-filled person. (laughs) I'm not sure what your perception of me normally is up here on a Sunday, but those who know me well know um, I'm not a naturally joy-filled person, and there are, there's often jokes made about my lack of enthusiasm. Um, so I will admit that I'm not an expert on this topic. Uh, we might be learning together this morning. And in fact, the question that I thought I would extend to us to talk about in regards to joy is, is joy necessary? Is it necessary? Has anyone seen the movie Inside Out? Please, okay. So you're imagining like the red angry blob guy, the blue blob sad girl. I think there was a disgust one. I can't remember all of them. But I'm kind of imagining that everyone's together. There's a performance review for the joy girl. And we're all the other blobs. And we're like, is joy necessary? Does she need to be here? Um, So let's talk about that. Let's see if we can answer that question this morning. Is it truly necessary? Um, And here we go. Of all the expressions of God, I don't think that joy is the one we're judged on. John 13, verse 35 says, By this all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So love seems very important. Um, Jesus uses this as a metric for discipleship, but I don't see a spot where Christ-likeness is clearly judged by levels of joy specifically, or that our impact is judged based on joy. And yet, one of the proclamations made about the coming of Jesus, like we saw in that video, is that he would bring great joy. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And a different translation puts it this way. Be joyful always, pray at all times, be thankful in all circumstances. This is what God wants for you in your life, in union with Jesus Christ. In other words, God's not judging you or me on our levels of joy. He's not judging us on our predisposition to experience joy or demonstrate joy. But it is his his intention for us to live joy-filled lives. So it might be worth exploring, maybe. Um, Let's start with what is joy. Um, And first of all, my kids, my daughter particularly, is very confused about when Christmas is. Because we're in the Christmas season, and every day it sort of feels like it's Christmas. So every day she asks me, is Christmas today? Um, and my response is usually, no, but 
sort of, like we're in the Christmas season. Um, and when we talk about joy in regards to the joy of Christmas, it's similar. We're talking about a joy that has already arrived, a joy that's here now, and also a joy that is yet to come, like the video talked about. We're not talking about continuous feelings of ecstasy and blind positivity. We are talking about experiencing joy in the midst of a broken world while we await the complete restoration of God's plans. So as the video mentioned, joy can be described as feelings of happiness and pleasure. Sometimes it's experienced through a friend, a pleasant spell, or a pleasant spell, whoops. Hopefully not, that's wrong place. Um, a pleasant smell or a good bottle of wine. And sometimes having joy is an act of faith. For me, joy is having or anticipating a cup of coffee in the morning, being thirsty, and then finally drinking a glass of water, or it's looking towards the outcome of something instead of the act, like how my nose will feel after a nasal rinse, not during a nasal rinse. Sorry for that example. <laughs> I'm trying to convince my son that it's gonna feel really good after he gets a nasal rinse. Um, anyhow, <laughs> Galatians 5 verse 22 tells us that joy is a fruit of the spirit. This means that God's spirit produces joy in us. So where there is joy, it's evidence that he's present. Um, it's not a personality type and it's not necessarily a circumstance. We know this because so many of the psalms that talk about joy do so in the midst of war, disease, accusation, death, just general hardship. Um, phrases like oil of joy and clothing us in joy tell us that God's spirit imparts joy to us even in tough circumstances. And I know this, you know, when we're singing together on Sunday mornings, when I'm leading worship or even how awesome to just be able to sit and this morning um, and rely on the paving of the ground that the worship team did, so thank you for that. I experienced so much joy in the house of God, so much joy singing praise to him, and as I said before, and maybe it's hard to convince you if you don't know me very well, but that is not my tendency. I do not have a predisposition to do that, but I wanna tell you, assure you that I'm not performing. I can attest to the fact that when I spend time with God, I am sincerely filled with joy that I don't access naturally. <laughs> um, but that said, that's not all of our stories. It's not all of our personal experiences that we can easily find joy. So let's talk about why it's sometimes difficult to attain joy. And I want to answer those questions by going all the way back to Genesis 2 and 3. And you are probably familiar with this story, but let's revisit some of the passages. So God had just created the world. We get to Genesis 2. God had just created everything. He creates Adam, and then he creates Eve. And Genesis 2 verse 15 says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Adam and Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. Genesis 3, starting in verse 3. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Does anybody know what a manchineal tree is? Did you know there are trees that are toxic? I don't know if this is exactly the one that existed in the Garden of Eden, but do you have that picture, Uli, or no? No, okay. There are trees that are toxic. There's a tree called a manchineal tree that looks like a beautiful tree, um, and in Genesis 3, it tells us that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a delight to the eye. So it was nice to look at. Um, and this tree, I don't know if this is it, but um, just to give, just to defend Eve a little bit, that this thing wasn't obviously going to result in death, I wanted to show you a picture of this tree called the Manchild tree that um, is poisonous to eat, poisonous to touch. If you burn the wood from it, you will go blind. If you stand under it when it rains and the tree rains on you or the sap rains on you, it will cause blisters on your skin. If you ingest the fruit of it, not only does it cause blisters in your mouth and burning in your throat and cause you to maybe suffocate, but it is also co-carcinogenic, meaning that it helps tumors grow in your body. <laughs> I don't know. But let's, with that image in your mind, and imagine that it's a tree that looks just as beautiful as the rest of the trees. You don't know, without a warning sign in front of it, you don't know what it's going to do. So Genesis 3, verse 4. This is the serpent talking to the woman. The serpent is trying to convince the woman to eat this fruit that God has told them not to. And the serpent says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. This line has always confused me. How were their eyes opened? What, their, what were their eyes possibly closed to before when they were living freely with God? It goes on to say, and then they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Again, surely they had been living fully spiritually aware. They had been communing with God, the thing that we are continuing to strive for, right? They were living without shame. So what happened? What were their eyes open to? What did they begin to see, and how did they begin to live? That in, what were they seeing that they hadn't previously been seeing? My conclusion from this is that when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in other words, when they disobeyed God, their eyes were opened to the knowledge of evil, meaning they had previously been ignorant to it. 
part of the fall, part of the consequences of separation from God is that now we have our eyes open to something that God did not intend our eyes to be open to. As we know, they end up aware of their nakedness and they start to feel ashamed, a feeling God had not imparted to them. They had not noticed they were naked beforehand, um, but all of a sudden something God had created, Adam and Eve looked at and felt that it needed to be covered. And here the consequences for humanity were set in motion. Our eyes began to drift to ourselves and it became harder for us to see the goodness of God and possible for us to see and experience things of darkness like shame. And this is exactly why joy is hard to come by sometimes. Psalm 16 says that in his presence is fullness of joy. If we don't experience fullness of joy, it must point to a separation from his presence, which is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden, separation from his presence. God never intended for us to live without joy because God never intended for us to live outside of his presence. Sometimes I hear comments like, how could you possibly have joy in the midst of the pain of the world or in the midst of this terrible situation, this terrible sickness? And considering this story we just read, considering Genesis 2 and 3, I wonder if God's response to us would be, how dare you let the darkness steal your gaze? A few years ago, I had a friend who was diagnosed with cancer. And every Friday, she would have chemotherapy. And she, at the time, was living in Ontario. And this was during the pandemic. So I couldn't take a meal to her. I couldn't watch her kids. I couldn't clean her kitchen or any of the practical ways that I would have liked to have helped. So what I did was I wrote down all the chemo appointments that she had. And I would wake up, because she was three hours ahead of me, I would wake up earlier and I would be available on my phone and I would text back and forth with her while she was sitting in a chair connected to her medicine. Um, and it, it seemed small because it was small, but what she said to me was that she didn't want to be thinking about cancer all the time. She wanted to be able to have conversations that were not about cancer. Um, and that's what I could provide to her was was allowing her to see something else than the struggle that she was otherwise consumed by. I want to read an excerpt from a Focus on the Family Advent devotional. The history of the world is a grand narrative written by God that unfolds across four chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Like all great stories of which, it is by far the greatest. It contains high drama, shocking reversals, painful tragedy, and thrilling triumph. As the story builds towards its climax, the dramatic tension and sense of anticipation become almost palpable. God is the protagonist, and Jesus is his eternal champion through whom he will redeem his people and remake his creation, which will be that much more beautiful for once having been broken. But how long, Lord? How will it happen, and how much must the world still endure before it does? I want to propose to you that 
God is not the source of suffering. God is the redeemer of the suffering, and he's the sustainer amid the suffering. God's joy is like the holy pain management. And this is a radical idea. (laughs) As I mentioned earlier, the devil's agenda of chaos and death wants to steal your attention. It's an act of warfare to have joy. It's easy to see the problems of the world and it's easy to be overcome by them. And in fact, I might even say the Passover out is to be overcome by the pains of the world. And the active, offensive stance is to have the joy of the Lord, which the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. It is defiant to the culture of the world to trust in the promises of God when others want you to keep your focus on the problems of the world. It's like the song we sang this morning, and I'm wearing the shirt that goes with it. Um, Look at what the Lord has done. And there's the bridge in that song says, he pushes back the darkness, releasing every captive. That's what the power of God does. Having joy is a radical notion. Um, Like I just said, I think it's a kingdom coming to earth sort of thing. You know, in Matthew is the Lord's Prayer, and we sing a song that has those lyrics too. It says, let your kingdom come, your will be done. And, And I believe that when we have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, we are doing exactly that. We are saying, God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done because his will for us is joy. His will for us is not pain. His will for us is fullness in his presence. And especially when we don't experience it emotionally, but we choose by faith to trust in and be assured by the promises of Christ coming again. It's like making a hole in the atmosphere of the earth and allowing the light of heaven to come in. Let's look at some biblical examples. What time am I supposed to be done? Yesterday, you were not on my list of people to be here, by the way. (laughs) Doesn't sound like it. (laughs) Um, You know, I had all these jokes to kill time because I was really hoping to just get through this. Um, But now it seems like maybe I have a few more pages. All right, so let's look at some biblical examples. Um, In the movie that we watched, the Bible Project movie that talked about joy, it referred to the song of joy that the Israelites sang after being delivered from Egypt. But now they were in the wilderness. Um, This is kind of an unusual response. It's similar to in Psalm 23, God, or there's an imagery of God setting a banquet before us in the presence of our enemies. These are unusual responses, and what's unusual about them is that they seem to be ignoring what's right in front of them. And I might be sounding redundant now, but that's kind of the point here. (laughs) Um, They are ignoring what's in front of them. These are situations where people choose to look at the culture of heaven and act according to the culture of heaven, and this is when they are strengthened. And I will admit, as I said before, that I have had to actively practice this. Sometimes I can feel the discomfort of forging new neural pathways, like being the first person to trudge through fresh snow. This is sometimes what it feels like for me when I choose joy. My mind and my emotions sometimes want to resist it. (laughs) 
And I'm kind of imagining, again, we talked about that movie Inside Out at the beginning, and I'm imagining that character Joy. <laughs> and I, I'd say that for most of my life, I kind of had a, that blue blob touching a lot of buttons. <laughs> um, in my family, depression was basically a personality type. Um, joy, was, joy was not even something you aspired to have. It was, the mentality around it was that you either are joyful or you're not. And I think something about joy seemed immature to me. Maybe I was looking too hard at the weathered adults in my life, that I didn't recognize the gift of a childhood perspective. Whatever the reason, um, I thought that joy was frivolous and immature and that being mature was being serious and not playful. And I want to look for a second at 2 Samuel 6. Starting um, in verse 14, you might be familiar with this story of David and I don't know if it's Michael or Michal, any Hebrew scholars? Michal. I don't know. No one's come forward. I'll just struggle through. Um, anyhow, the Ark of the Covenant has just been restored to the city of David, and David is really excited about this. King David is really excited about this. He's dancing through the streets. Verse 14 tells us, wearing a linen ephod, which was the garments of the Levites, not the garment of the king. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. So this was his wife. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And then fast forward to verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, again his wife, came out to meet him and she said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michal, Michelle, whatever, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And then it says, and this is the mic drop part, and Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. She was criticizing David's response to God. She was criticizing his display of joy, his display of excitement. She was so caught up in, well, I would say, a religious spirit <laughs> that she missed out. Not only did she miss out in that moment of the joy of God, but she missed out for the rest of her life. God, the consequences of that were that she was unable to have children, which in that time was enormous. And this is what, not delighting in the Lord does to us. It makes us unfruitful in our lives and not just to not delight in the Lord because we don't have a predisposition to it, but to be resistant, to stick our nose up at people who are able to do that 
that's not from God. <laughs> um, and if that's the case, I would say there's, there's freedom for you from that. You know, recently um, I was at a Christmas party and because I'm such a good conversationalist at Christmas parties, I was sitting with one of my husband's coworkers and I start the conversation like this. Are you doing okay? You seem not well. <laughs> and he says, I just have this deep sadness in me. And I said, yeah, I get it. I've been there. And so he asks me, well, what did you do? And I say, God. And he, and he says, well, yeah, okay, but like specifically. And again, because I'm such a good conversationalist, I say, repentance. <laughs> <laughs> He's not here this morning. But, <laughs> but I mean it genuinely. I'd say something that freed me in my life what has been repentance, saying, God, I repent of letting insecurity drive my life. I repent of small-mindedness. God, I repent of resisting the joy of the Lord. And I pray, God, that you would loose the joy of heaven into my life. And so I invite you to do that now or throughout the week. Because it's not holier to be serious. It's not holy to be caught and overwhelmed with the problems of the world and unable to see the God who's going to get us through them. It's not more mature. It's not God's tactic either. His word says that the joy of the Lord strengthens us. It's his strategy for strength. So let me wrap up with a few kind of practical things. Because um, again... Now nah, I'll, I'll be done with the inside out references, never mind. Um, no one told me when I need to be done, did you? Bob said yesterday. <laughs> uh, all right, anyways, here, let me just uh, go into some practical tips for attaining joy, and then we'll, we'll wrap up here. So firstly, obviously, God's presence. There is fullness of joy in his presence, Psalm 16, verse 11. There's simply no replacement for time with God, praying, worshiping, reading the Bible, meditating on the Bible, journaling, drawing, singing, whatever it is. I'm a big journaler, and in every single journal I have on the back page, I have this small list of things that make me happy or things that bring me peace, and the reason that I have that list, which is mostly the same list of things in every single journal, and I'm like a longtime journaler, is because I will be praying and talking to God and I'll be writing in my journal as I do. And often over many years, there's been the, I'll be like feeling very sad and asking God for his strategy. And he'll remind me of things that renew my hope, renew my peace, renew my joy. And I will jot them down in the back of the journal. And it's so consistent, it's so consistently the same things, and it's so consistent that it gets strategy in God's presence that it's in every one of my journals. So God will speak to you, he will give you strategy, he will show you the path. Next, this is kind of the same point. Again, God's presence, but bathing in his presence. Allow yourself to sit longer in his presence. Allow his spirit to overwhelm you. 
just like the song, look at what the Lord has done, again, that we sang, is we have to remember the things that God has done. We have to meditate on them, so make a list if you have to. We need to remember and we need to anticipate that there will be more good things that God does. There will be joy after the nasal rinse. Make a list if you need to. Make a list of, make a list. Make a list of verses to meditate, to remind yourself that God is faithful, that God's spirit imparts joy. Remember that it's God's joy that he imparts to us. So it's okay if you don't have any joy. It's okay if you always see the glass as half empty because it's God's joy that he will give to you. If you ask him, he will give you his joy. So spend time with him. It will rub off on you. John 17 verse 3 says, guys, I'm talking faster now because you got up. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You might have to just read your Bible. Um, okay, a other couple ideas, practical ideas. <laughs> um, a few years ago, when I was going through a season where it was particularly difficult to find joy, in part because it was also difficult to get a good night's sleep, um, I started this thing where I would try to suck more joy out of a moment, and it looked like this. I'd be with my kid, and he would laugh or smile, and I would intentionally keep my eyes on his face for longer than normal, which only works like with your kid because they have more tolerance for the awkward moments. Um, but I would fix my eyes on his smile or his laugh longer than the moment allowed. And it was sort of for me like putting a joy cup under the tap and waiting for it to fill, just sitting in the moment a little bit longer instead of moving on from it. You can do that. You know, if it's a cup of coffee, it's a, if it's a walk with a friend, if it's a book, whatever it is, do it slower. Take it in longer. And my last practical tip is you have to be willing to hold more than one emotion. You must allow yourself to be filled with joy even if you are grieving or confused. Um, earlier I mentioned that I had a friend who had cancer. Uh, but the beginning of that story is in January 2021. I had a very good friend that was diagnosed with cancer, a supposedly rare, very rare kind of cancer called coleoangiocarcinoma. And then three months later, I had another very good friend diagnosed with that same kind of cancer. Um, and I was the co-executor of her will, just to, when I say it was a good friend, not a distant, you know, um, what's the word? Acquaintance. So um, this week, it was the two-year anniversary of one of those friends dying from that cancer. And it's also the week that the second friend was declared cancer-free. Yeah, amen. And it's very bittersweet, as you can imagine. And so for me, this is a lesson in having joy for the friend that has been declared cancer-free, but also still grieving the friend whose joy I'm, I'm anticipating. And we have to be able to do that because joy is not in conflict with pain. Joy is the strategy for the pain. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online 
to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca. Thank you.